you very much. I think it's Miss Fino. Uh, bless the Lord. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm glad to be with you today. But pardon me just a minute. I this is my first time to experience this. Just no. can't see them, they can see me, but I can't see them. Anyway, I just wanted to see what that was. <laughs> I'm very uh, thankful uh, to get to be here with you today. Um, that, uh, Pastor Johnson, actually, we, we may have shook hands out in California, but uh, I actually met him uh, officially in my head and heart down in Norman. I preached down there a couple of years ago or so, and uh, pastor came down for the service for the revival, and uh, we talked and met then, talked about where he is now here and where we saw each other before, and anyway, I'm just very grateful. And when we think about, uh, and I suppose you know, but next Sunday, make three years that Pastor Johnson's been here, and God is blessed, and there's been a uh, Good things happen in the last three years. That's a blessing to me and my heart and so on. I'll just go ahead and say my mom, uh, by God's grace, is going to come to service tonight and be here with us. And so I'm thankful that uh, that's, that's what we're working on. She, we're hoping that she'll be able to come. So anyway, look forward to that. So uh, I... I uh, want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. I'm going to take you to a couple of passages, uh, Romans chapter 1. But I am excited to be back uh, here at Cornerstone, thankful for what God's doing and what He's done. And yesterday was outstanding, and all the effort and work was obvious to, you know, the young people. They just come and do it. But us adults are watching going, mercy. <laughs> A whole lot of effort just happened uh, yesterday in preparation for it, and then to clean up and put it all away and all that. Uh, so I, too, want to say thank you for that. It's a blessing, and the Lord's honored by that. So thank you for doing that. All right. Um, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Romans chapter 1. Um, I ask people to stand, and you that are old, there are people here that was here in the past. I've been asking people to do this for over 30 years. To stand, the reason I ask you to stand, if you're able, is to give reverence and to give honor to the eternal, infallible, inerrant, it is the perfect, preserved Word of God. As I'm just reminding all of us every time I preach, we've got God's holy word. So, Romans chapter 1, there's two verses I just want to bring to your attention. Verse 16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The next book in your Bible is 1 Corinthians. If you would turn there, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just a few pages. <clears throat> It is wonderful to hear pages of the Bible turning. <laughs> I'm not against it. I don't think I am. I'm not against people looking on their phone or a pad of some kind or whatever. But I sure like hearing that noise. Preachers that preach the Bible love it. I suppose they don't care the other way. But if you do do your phone business, if that's what you do, please invent the app. That makes that noise. That'd be a blessing. It'd just make my heart race if you did that. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's one, there are several verses, but I want to bring your attention to uh, verse number 17. 
For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I want to show you something in verse 17 and 18 while you're standing. I just want to show you something. Whenever you, whenever you say the word gospel, it's, it's, it's almost identical to saying the cross. Us, you're talking about the gospel. Actually, when you say the word Christ or Jesus Christ, you're talking about the gospel or you're talking about the cross. I'll show you the, what I mean by that in verse 17. It says, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom words, lest the cross, lest the gospel of Christ should be made none effect. See the how you can interchange those? I'm not trying to change the Bible. I know it's distinct. I know it's where it's supposed to be. But I just want to show you how they're interchangeable. Verse 18 shows you that too. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but now it's, it's the power of God. So Whenever I talk about the cross, I'm talking about the gospel. When I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about the cross. I'm talking about Christ and so on. Chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, now verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Look what he says in verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you, save... Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let me have prayer with you, please. Our great God, I come to you again. Just want to say hallelujah again. Thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. So thank you for another Lord's Day. Thank you for another, uh, the health that we have to come to uh, a place called your church and to honor you and worship you and um, give you glory. But God, also, we want to hear from you. Please speak to us. Help me as a preacher, as a communicator to get across truth. I pray it would make sense to us. I pray that you would use it and you would be glorified by it. So if anyone's here that's not born again, oh, we're so thankful that they're here. We're thankful you've given them grace and mercy to still have an opportunity to hear your word and hear truth, and they have opportunity to be forgiven. So thank you. I pray you would touch that heart today. And us that know you, we have relationship with you. Would you stir us up? Would you refresh us? Just I pray you'd be glorified. So I sure do love you, Jesus, and I want to tell you thank you for loving me, for loving us, and proving that you love us. And then, of course, we sure do look forward to when we get to see you. And it's in your mighty and holy name I pray, Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> when you think of the word or when you hear the word Christianity. When you hear that word Christianity, what, what would you just what would you consider to be the center of Christianity? Or you could call it the the hub of Christianity. What, what is that in Christianity that makes, what is the centerpiece of Christianity? If you said, if you said, Christ, well, I'd certainly be correct, wouldn't it? It is called Christianity, and so it is because of Christ. Of course, he would be the focal point of it, but I do want you to know that the focal point of Christianity would not be his birth. His birth is precious. It's wonderful. The, the, the sweet story and how it all happened. And at the moment it was happening, if you were the one there, if you were Mary or Joseph, you wouldn't be going, oh, this is so precious. This is sweet. But to us now, as we look back, it's wonderful. We're grateful for all of it. But that's not the centerpiece. 
So we think about it, it's not his birth, and it's not the prophecies he pulled. And Jesus fulfilled lots of prophecies when he came here. The Old Testament is full of these promises that say they're going to happen when he gets here. There has been, someone has said, 333 of the prophecies just surrounding his death. Wow, that he fulfilled. And that's valuable, and it's something to rejoice about. It gives uh, validation and proof of who he is, but that's not the centerpiece. Uh, the miracles he did, fantastic. They can make your heart jump uh, with joy and thrill because of the miracles. We didn't get to see them. We just get to read about them. But mercy sakes. And the miracles are wonderful. And they do actually validate and prove that I am who I said I am, Jesus Christ, saying that he's God. It proves that. But that's not the focal point. It's not the centerpiece of Christianity. His disciples, those followers of Jesus Christ, and you and I would be included in that. If you know Christ as Savior, you would be one of those disciples. You'd be one of the followers of Christ. But friend, we are not the focal point. We're not the centerpiece. His teachings, wow. You know, people, unbeknownst to them, quote things out of the Bible just because they've heard it and they've, they didn't even know that they were quoting some scripture, you know, doing to others as you have them doing. They have no idea that came out of the Bible, many people. But Jesus' teachings, his instructions, oh, how necessary they are and how wonderful they are, but they're not the centerpiece. No, the actual centerpiece of Christianity was actually invented somewhere, I don't know, three, four hundred years before Christ even got here. The Phoenicians were in charge of the world at that time. They were the world power at that time. And the Phoenicians uh, were trying to come up with a way to, uh, to get those subjects in their kingdom to say, hey, hey, there, there is some behavior that we're not going to accept. And they, they came up with an idea of some kind of punishment that would say, you don't ever want to do this. And the Phoenicians are the ones that invented something called uh, the crucifixion. To crucify someone. To nail them to timbers. To nail them, hang them on a cross and let them suffer and die. Mercy. It is a cruel, cruel, horrific way to die. And the Phoenicians invented that, thinking if we would put people on public display, maybe some of these folks would never, ever do what would cause them to get up there. After the Phoenicians were world in charge of the world, the Romans came next, and Rome was over the world. And Rome thought, you know, that crucifixion thing is pretty effective. That thing is pretty serious. We're going to keep it. And they did. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, was crucified. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the cross is the centerpiece of Christianity. Without the cross, there would be no Christianity. All the teachings, all the miracles, all that stuff would just be wonderful things. But the cross of Jesus Christ is the focal point. It's the centerpiece. It's the hub. It's the heart of Christianity. Paul the Apostle is the one that wrote God used as God's writer for the book of Romans and Corinthians here. And so if you and I could travel with the Apostle Paul on his journeys as he went from place to place to preach, we would know just after a few sermons, just after a few messages, we would know that Paul basically had one most important sermon. And what was that? 
the cross of Jesus. Here's how he said it in Corinthians 2. He said, I determined not to know anything among you save, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the number one message that Paul the Apostle had. So when Paul the Apostle gets to the city of Corinth, where we are right here in the book, when he arrived at Corinth, he did not survey the town and see what they liked and disliked about religion. He didn't go around and say, what are your most important felt needs that you have? That was not how he approached it at all. He did not go from city to city and customize his message for this city. They're very intellectual. This city, they're really, really into craft. Uh, this city, they, they haven't had much education. He, no, no, he, didn't he didn't change his message whatsoever to fit different cities and customize it. It's obvious that when Paul preached, the spotlight was not on him. The spotlight was on the cross. The spotlight was on Jesus Christ. It was clear to Paul the Apostle, the centerpiece, the heart of Christianity is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Hallelujah. The cross. That's the centerpiece. It's the most important message. It's the core. So the Apostle Paul specialized in the person of Jesus Christ. He wanted everyone to know who Jesus was and what Jesus did in his first coming. He wanted everybody to know that. Wait, wait a minute. Did he talk about other things? Paul the Apostle. Uh, yeah. He wrote more pages of the New Testament than anybody else. And so when he went from these places, people born again and got churches established, he had other things were very valuable. Jesus, Paul talked about the church. He talked about the church that Jesus started and that Jesus is the cornerstone and uh, foundation of the apostles and prophets. He talked about that. He talked about the church and the church's responsibility, that the church's responsibility is to go in all the world and preach the gospel, preach the cross to every creature. Paul talked about how valuable that was. He talked about the church's uh, uh, polity, or you want to call it government. How does the church function? What are they supposed to do? I don't know, we just all get together and do stuff. No, we have record of what we're supposed to do. We have a pastor. Hallelujah. And it's not, the pastor is not the Pope. The pastor is not the Lord. Pastor is pastor. He's the bishop. He's the shepherd. He's the leader and the feeder of the church. I mean, we didn't make that up. It's like in the Bible. <laughs> Offerings, that's not, we didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. Outreach, witnessing, soul winning, it's in the Holy Bible. It's there. Since you brought it up, I'll just go ahead and say it. Church attendance. That's a bummer. <laughs> it's in the Bible. We didn't just make up the day, well, let's just all gather on Sunday since most people are off. We gather on the first day of the week. It's the Lord's Day. It's the day that he resurrected. That's the way they did it then. Then we're like supposed to like gather. Or I guess you could go assemble. Do you know I've learned that if you don't assemble, you didn't assemble? <laughs> Isn't that just fantastic? People that don't assemble, they didn't assemble, so they didn't assemble, so they didn't assemble. We're supposed to assemble on the first day of the week. We just didn't make this up, folks. Paul talked about it. I don't know if you're getting my point or not. Even though he talked about the church and how important that is and all that value, that's not the main message. The main message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul talked about other things. Since you brought it up, he talked about government. Oh. 
I don't know if you have any awareness that America has a government. <laughs> no matter how scrambled up it might be, we have one. And there's supposed to be some order to it. The Bible didn't tell America how to have its government necessarily. I do believe we had a foundation, but regardless, you know that the truth is I don't agree with everything our government does. And if you do, <laughs> you need to go to the doctor or something. <laughs> but when you don't agree, the Bible tells us what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to obey the government. The Bible makes it clear that God's the one that's in charge of that. Isn't that hard to believe? <laughs> God sets up. He sets up kings. He sets up rulers. He sets them up. And we are supposed to be in submission that we can. Except if they ask us to do something contrary to God's word then we ought to obey God rather than Pelosi. I mean, government. I mean, whatever. Everybody with me? The, 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 he speaks of that. It's very important. The home is so important. Oh, mercy, our homes are fouled up. We've lost the, they call it the nuclear family, and that's such a weird word to me, the nuclear family. All families are about to explode. <laughs> It's, anyway, the nuclear family that is a father and a mother and like children, duh, you can't get a family any other way. There has to be a baby born somewhere to get into a family. I understand adoption, but the baby was born so it could be adopted. It's still a family. You've got to have a mom, a dad, and kids. <laughs> The Bible speaks to that. There's good instruction, lots of instruction about that. How a husband treats a wife, how a wife treats a husband, how they behave toward their children and how they rear them and how children behave them. It's in the Holy Bible, but it's not the main thing. It's not the number one message. And how valuable it is, it's not number one. The message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the most important message. We're not going to turn there. Uh, I think tonight we'll look at it. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, Paul's he's talking to the church. He said, um, I delivered unto you first. I delivered unto you first. Is everybody watching? I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. What did you deliver them? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The what he said, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, did, he, I delivered unto you first that Jesus Christ died for our sins. The main thing was the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross. Amen? Amen. I could say it like this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the main thing. And you've heard it before. If you've been in church more than a few years, we need to keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel is the main thing. Is the government issue important? Yes. Is family issue important? Yes. All these things are important, but they're not the main thing. If a church would begin to make uh, emphasis on their primary emphasis is to allevi alleviate hunger, we're going to feed the poor. We're going to feed the children. We're going to, that's, that's the main emphasis of, of their ministry and their life. Does that have value? Yes. Does it even have scriptural backing? Yes. But it's not number one. Christian education, is that valuable? Yes. Especially if we're going to keep, if they're going to, all this new stuff that's coming down the pike. 
and it's new and that it's being verbalized where sometimes now as parents actually hear about it, it's been going on for several years now. And with, with the awareness of what that, all that is going on out there, Christian education is super invaluable. It's super important. But it's not the main thing. And if we're not careful, our Christian education becomes so much more important. It is valuable. It is important, but it's not number one. Please, somebody would agree with that. Say amen. Mercy. If the church decides to say, we're going to bring our country back to God, that's what we're going to do. And the church gets involved in politics and gets all circled the wagons around that and, you know, the senators and congressmen and judges and all this business. And we got to get informed. We got to do this. Is there anything wrong with that? No, 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 not at all. We need somebody to run for office that's a godly person. But it's not the main thing. But I do know churches that have turned and their whole emphasis has all been about politic and fighting the government. And, that, that's, and there's, a, there's a reason to rah-rah about that. But they, they got off track. They got off message. Mercy. There's only one organization on the planet that God has given the message of the cross to. And that's his church. We must be careful that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul's plan, to one or to two, he said, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. My plan, if Paul's plan was, when I get there, I'm going to preach about the crucifixion. I'm going to preach about the cross. I'm going to preach about Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. Somebody just pretend like you are listening to the message. Say amen. No, please. Pretend like you're listening. Thank you. Very good. Okay. So Paul preached about Jesus Christ. But it wasn't enough to preach about Jesus Christ was a human that experiences all the challenges of life. And he, and he did. He was 100% human. He was tempted in all points like us we are. In fact, since I, since I brought it up this time, I brought this one up, is that a couple of few weeks ago I was preaching about the humanity of Jesus and how that makes us uncomfortable when we talk about Jesus having body odor. Oh, that's disrespectful. He was a man. Is everybody with me? And to talk about his humanity is valuable. He's a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our permanence, where the thought came from that I just mentioned to you, that he's human. But he's more than just human. Was he a good son? Yes. To say Jesus was a carpenter, and no, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where he was a carpenter. But he was a son of a carpenter, and he lived there close to 30 years. I'm certain he helped his dad. Amen? I like what Max Lucado, I believe it was him that said, when Jesus held a piece of wood in his hand as a teenager, did he ever think about someday a piece of wood would become a cross? But to say that he was a carpenter, okay, he, he probably did help his daddy, and he was probably good at it. He probably was an important help. And, but he's more than a carpenter. To say he was a prophet, yes. Say he was a teacher, yes. But he's more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's altogether God. He's not some God. He's not part God. He's altogether God. No, no, he is human. He's the indescribable, undefinable God-man. He's every bit God. He's every bit man. He's not God in man. He's not man in God. He's the God-man. And now I can hear some of your gears clicking. Could you explain that? <laughs> I just said it's undefinable and indescribable. 
but he is. He's every bit God. He's every bit man. And as God, he died on a cross for our sin. Deity in our place. Oh, I don't want to just brush over. I've already said he's human. In John 1.1, 1, 1, the Gospel of John, you don't have to look there, just listen to me. In the beginning was the Word, and that Word there is a capital W. In the beginning was a capital W Word, and the capital W Word was God, and the capital W Word was with God. He's God, the Word is. Wait a minute, who's the Word? Well, verse 14 says, and the capital W Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus Christ is the Word. He's God in the flesh. And he died on the cross. Watch. He laid all of our sins upon himself. He took our place. He died our death. He bore the punishment, this is wild, this is, he, the punishment of his own wrath against our sin. The punishment of his own wrath, the condemnation and the punishment of his own wrath against our sin, he took in our place. Wow. Dying our death. Amen. The God-man died for us. Any ministry, any religion, I can go ahead and say any minister that does not have as its center, at its core, the cross of Jesus, they're just not the ministry of Jesus Christ. Everything around the work of Christ here, everything around the work of Christianity needs to have as a core that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Praise his name. The message that Paul has for us is precise. It's exact. If you'll turn over with me, we'll be finished. I want to show you something. I think it's 2 Corinthians. So just over a couple pages or several pages in my Bible. I want to just kind of show you this verse and highlight, explain to you, and then I'll be finished. It's amazing what happened for us. If you have it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Did I say chapter 5? I meant to, sorry. Verse 20 says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. So the, the, the issue, let me just say it like this, the little paragraph here is about Christ. Look at verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us. Let's just be sure we know all the pronouns here. The first pronoun for he is God. God hath made him to be sin. The second pronoun there, him, is Jesus Christ. For God hath made Jesus Christ to be sin. Wow. But it tells us why. For us. Well, who would be us? Us would be sinners. I guess that would include us as or usins, okay? So God made Jesus Christ to be sin for usins. Keep reading, look what it says. Who knew no sin? Well, who is who? Well, who's not us? We're all sinners. Well, who is who? It's Christ. Christ knew no sin. He never sinned. No, no, no. He was tempted. Never sinned. 
God made Christ to be sin for us. Christ knew no sin. Look what it says. That we, well, who would we be? We would be usins. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just friends, I'm just telling you that Jesus Christ became sin for us. Why? So we could be forgiven. I love it that Paul wanted everybody to know who Jesus was and what he did in his first coming. Who was he? He's God. He's Christ. And he died for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God. My righteousness doesn't depend on Dave McCracken and how good I am and how awesome I am. <laughs> no, none at all. My righteousness depends on Jesus. And he gave me his father's righteousness. When did he do that? When I trusted him. When I realized I was a sinner. I need a savior. And I believe he was the savior. He's more than just a carpenter. He's more than a teacher or a prophet. He's more than just a man. He's God's. He is God in the flesh. As God's son, and he died in my place. When I believe that, and I ask him to forgive me, and ask him to save me, he did. It's something that's knowable. I didn't make it up. I know that I know, but to know, it's knowable in the Bible. The Bible says, these things are written on you that have believed on the name of the Son of God. Why did he write these things to you? that you may know that you have eternal life, and that this life is in his son. He wrote it to us so we, that we can know. And I'm just telling you right now, I know. I don't know because I'm a preacher. I don't know because I'm a son of a preacher. I, I know because I was there when I realized I was a sinner. I believe the message, Paul's message, that Christ came to die for our sin. I believed that message, and I was there, and I asked him to forgive me. And I said, would you please save me? And he did. Would you, all the vocabulary, come into my heart and save me. I don't know that I've said those vocabulary words, but I know I said, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. Please save me. And he did. If you don't know you're saved, oh, I got good news. You can. It's not a placebo. It's not a psychological ploy and trick we do to people. It's God's holy word promises we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be made righteous. Wow. If you don't know that, you can. You have to admit. You have to make admission. I'm a sinner. That shouldn't be too difficult. But then you have to make a step of faith of where you go, I know I'm a sinner, that's easy, but I believe you're the forgiver, you're the Savior. I believe you're Christ that died for my sin. I ask you to save me, please. Praise his name. I ask you to stand with me and Ask Pastor to come. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed at this time. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, there was a great explanation today on the importance of why you should. He did everything necessary to make a way for you. He didn't have to, but he did because he loves you. 
please don't leave this place today not taking care of this very most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life. If you're here and you've never done that, I want to encourage you to make that decision today. Um, at the end of the service, my wife and I and Brother and Mrs. McCracken will be out in the back. We'd like to have you just maybe tell us, I'd like to know more about salvation. I'd like to make that decision, and we'd be glad to show you from God's Word a few more scriptures so that you can understand and make that decision today. For those of us who've made that decision, I think that there's a good reason for us today to be thankful. I think we can take a moment um, to give thanks for the price that Jesus paid for us. And perhaps there's somebody in your life that you need to go and share this message of the cross with somebody. Perhaps the Lord has put somebody on your mind, on your heart, to go and talk to this week. I want to invite you to have a time of prayer. Um, as Miss Pat begins to play, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer right where you are. Thanking the Lord for the cross, thanking the Lord for what he did for us, and then also maybe even praying for somebody in your life that you need to share the gospel with, that you need to share Jesus Christ and him crucified with. Pray for that person by name. As she plays through this song, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer. If you'd like to come forward, you're welcome to. If you'd like to pray right in your seat, you're welcome to. But uh, we'll just have a time of prayer here as we uh, conclude our service. Turn your eyes upon Jesus is the song she's playing. Um, Brother Randy, would you mind leading us in this uh, first verse of this song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's the theme for us here at Cornerstone Baptist Church this year, keeping our looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes on him. And when we do, the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. So, Brother Randy, let's, uh, let's sing uh, page 546 in, in our hymnals. Uh, the words will be on the screen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated for just a few more moments. I will be dismissed in just a few moments, but I do want to invite Brother McCracken to come up and tell us a little bit about what he has on the table out there. And uh, he has a table, uh, a couple books, and, and some artwork. And I'll let him kind of share about that, and then we'll be dismissed in a few, in a few moments. Pastor, thank you. Uh, in the foyer, I have two books uh, with me. Uh, this is written by my sister, Anita. It's called Thy Face, Lord, Will I Seek. It's a book on prayer. And my favorite thing about the book, it teaches you how to get your prayer life started and going and keep going. That's a, what's such a blessing about it. Uh, and so um, it's $15. $5 of each book that is sold is going to her daughter Taylor and her husband, uh, Dan McQueen. They are helping to build a youth camp up near Stillwater, and uh, so $5 goes for that. This book is called, Who Didn't See This Coming? 
This is by Jerry Locke. This is talking about the morality that we have today in America, in every area of America, in our judicial and education, family, everything, or the, where the, that came from, or uh, it exploded out of us that are older, the 1960s, and so it exploded out there. But he does a great job in putting uh, footnotes together and helping us uh, to see that, and just it gives you conversation ability and awareness of what's going on. And so uh, one thing that I've enjoyed is getting millennials to read this book because millennials only heard about the 1960s. They don't know about them. And so I wanted them to say how it connects, and many of them have read it, and they go, yes, I've heard about it, but I can see the connection, and it's a help and a blessing. But anyway, that's what that's about. And so, all right. Now, I have two daughters, Angie and Becky. Angie, Becky's married, has two children. Angie's never been married. Angie teaches at Community Christian Schools down in Norman. She's been there for over 20 years. She taught first grade 20 years. She's in the fourth grade now. Anyway, uh, just almost 19 years ago, in a couple weeks, it'll be 19 years ago that Angie and her roommate, Raven, they were roommates at Bible College. After college, they rented a house. They were roommates. Now they bought a house, and they're actually my neighbor. And so we're neighbors together. And uh, so Angie's roommate worked at a daycare and got introduced to a family of girls. One of them was a month old, and the other two were three and four years old, a little older than her. Their mother was in prison at the time. She is a heroin addict, and she was in prison at the time. And so they tried to help the dad with these kids. They, of course, they were at the daycare, but sometimes he would be late or he needed help at night or they would keep him on weekends. And so they did that free to help him because they wanted to help these little girls and they fell in love with these girls. When the youngest one, her name is Chelsea, when she was four, Angie asked, the mother's out of prison, said, hey, can we take these uh, girls to our school? And the mother goes, well, yeah, but I can't afford it. And Angie said, it's a scholarship. That'll, and they go, okay. I didn't know this until Chelsea was in the fifth grade. The scholarship is that you get a discount if your kids come to the school. Angie still had the money taken out of her check every two weeks to pay for these three girls to go to school. I didn't know it. Angie never told me, never asked me anything about it. Anyway, in uh, kindergarten, the littlest one, Chelsea, had all kinds of issues. She was mean, she was defiant, she was argumentative, she was, uh, and they would always come and get Angie and say, hey, you need to do something with this little girl. And so she had these disorders. And so when she got into the first grade, the mother, uh, they started medicating her. She was on three different kinds of medicines. So when they got to the second grade, the two older girls said, we don't want to go to this school anymore. The mother didn't get them there half the time. Angie or Raven would have to go pick them up. They would keep them after school. The father wasn't all together in the in, in part of the activity. Anyway, so uh, in the third grade, the mother said to Angie, I think you ought to just let Chelsea go to live with you Monday through Friday. I'll get her on weekends, and you have her Monday through Friday because I can't get her to school, and you can get her there. Okay. In the fifth grade, the mother said, I think you should just keep Chelsea all the time. She'll be better off with you. She'll have a better life. Everything will be better. There's no legal documents. I was a little apprehensive when they did this. Angie and Raven said, yes, we'll take her. And I just thought there's... Because you have drug addicts involved and you have things involved, I just was concerned. But praise God, nothing ever came of that. So uh, in the ninth grade, Chelsea got saved at youth camp. In the 11th grade, she surrendered to be a missionary. And right now, she's a freshman at Heartland Baptist Bible College. She just turned 19 last week. Uh, and um, 
When she was in the sixth grade, she started taking art at CCS. And her youth director in the ninth grade asked her, uh, no, I'm sorry, in the tenth grade said, would you draw a picture that we could hang on our wall? And so with a pencil, she's quite gifted at this, she drew this picture, the lion and the lamb. So that's on their wall in the youth group. So Nancy and I are so proud of it, everywhere we went, uh, let me back up, I asked Chelsea if it's okay if we call you our granddaughter. I asked Nancy first, and Nancy said yes, and we asked Chelsea, she said yes. I said, all it means, Chelsea, is that you get bigger presents. That's all it means. <laughs> but I will tell you that last month, she changed her name to McCracken. And we're glad to have her. Anyway, we brag about her, and everywhere we went, we show people on our phone, look what our granddaughter did. See what she did, our granddaughter? And we showed everybody the picture. Well, a friend of mine in California uh, worked with Thomas Kincaid, the painter of lights. He worked in the finance department, so he met lots of people that do art image stuff. And he said, I have friends that could do images, and I would like to do it. So he's the one that reproduced this. This is on canvas. This one is on aluminum. And so uh, he said, I want to help this young artist get going. And so that's why we have this. It's on the table out there. We're selling these things, and we the purpose of selling them is to help Chelsea pay for Bible college. And her first semester is paid for because of this artwork. We started selling it in February, and we're grateful that people, we think it's attractive. We think people will be blessed by it, and it can be a blessing to her. The aluminum one is $100. And I only have one here today. I have some uh, in Angie's garage next door to me. And then I, the canvas is $60. And today, uh, I think there's eight of these maybe, or 10. There's a, there's a little crease right here. See that little crease there, that stain thing or whatever? There's one on this side. And so because of that, they didn't charge us what they normally charge us. So. Normally these are $50, but they're $25, and we have uh, some of these back there. Pastor, thank you for letting me show everybody. Thank you. Those would make a great, uh, great wall hanging at, uh, at the homes of our church family. So um, if you're interested in that, uh, they'll be out by the table um, after the service today and then also before and after the service uh, tonight. And uh, I do want to encourage you to be back at 5 o'clock. Thank you for that message, Brother McCracken. I appreciate the emphasis on the cross. Uh, that is where the emphasis needs to be. Certainly, a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of people and a lot of churches can get off track there. But that is the main thing. All right, well, let's.